get into 2 Corinthians, uh, I know it's, it's going to increase the number of phone calls and the number of texts, so I'm going to just go ahead and answer some of it to start with before we go. I know the president put that into order today, and he called the church a, um, what do you call it, essential. He now called the church essential, and that's going to cause some people to think, well, that means we can open, I, I promise you. The president changing that to call an essential changes nothing for us. Um, it is the social distancing guideline that is in place in the states, and Georgia is some of the first to move forward. But nonetheless, at this time, it is the social distancing guideline that, that keeps us from being able to get together. Um, some of those are set to possibly expire in a few days. We won't know anything for at least another week, but we won't know anything until after that comes to pass. So um, I do want you to know um, that we're continuing to pray for you, and I would ask you to continue to pray for us as, as a staff. I'd ask you to pray for all the pastors. It's a tough pill to shut the doors. <laughs> you know that the people out there that are hungry to come to the house of the Lord and that, that are out there wanting to serve and to worship and praise the Lord. And, um, but nonetheless, um, we have to keep your safety first and foremost, but your, your spiritual well-being is just as important to us as your physical well-being. So we understand the urgency of trying to get the doors open to the house of worship, that we can come back together as the family, come back together the way that the Word of God instructs us to. We are taught to be the family and to come together and to assemble together. And um, one day soon, one day soon, I'd ask you to continue to just be in prayer for us, and we'll be in prayer for you. This evening we'll continue Second Corinthians. We are going to move on to chapter 13 here this evening. Verse number 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Uh, shall every word be established? I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. Being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. God, thank you so much for your book. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for your letter to the church, God. I know you wrote it through the hand of the Apostle Paul, and you addressed it to the church at Corinth. But you recorded it in this book, and you handed it down for over 2,000 years now that, that it might be here for the church, that we might look and study and learn, that you might strengthen us and teach us. And God, I pray you take your word now, God. I ask you, Lord, to clean me up, make me a usable vessel. Lord, that you might use my words. I ask you to teach to me first, God, that you might teach through me. I pray that this message will be a blessing to all, all hearers, everybody that listens, whether it be tonight on live stream or maybe in some recording in days to come. Father, I ask you to take it and use it, Father. You said your word would not return void, and we believe that wholeheartedly because you said it. We love you, Father. We ask for your guidance and your touch now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So Paul tells them, this is going to be my third trip to Corinth. I'm coming. It'll be my third time to come there and be there with you. And he says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word be established. So Paul has made up his mind here that when he gets to Corinth, there's going to be an investigation of the facts. He's going to find out who is real, who's in this for the glory of God, who is the real Christian, and who's talking out of both sides of their mouth. Paul's given them a warning. He's already written a warning one time. He wrote the warning there, and he put it there. And because of that, those who accuse him have used that as an opportunity to bring accusations against him. They said, oh, yeah, he writes letters. He says one thing in his letters, but he'll do nothing when he comes. Well, the deal is when Paul was there, he was there in love, and he was there in compassion. The problem, those that are taking opposition, opposition against him, they have confused Paul's meekness with weakness. And Paul says, when I'm coming back, there's going to be a different story. He said, I told you before, I foretell you as if I were present the second time. So we have proof that Paul has already been there with them twice. We, we know that from the previous, the previous studies. We talked about the second time that he was there was a very painful visit. Um, Paul left there, I guess you'd say, with, with some hurt feelings and some bad emotions. But Paul gives them fair warning that my patience is reaching its end. This is going to be a different trip. I foretell you. That means I've told you before, and now I'm coming to tell you for the last time before I come. If your house is not in order, get your house in order. Get your life in, in line. Get things straightened out. Get the messes out of your life, or I'm going to come in, and then we're going to do some house cleaning there in the church at Corinth. He goes on, verse number two, being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Paul says, I'm not going to be sparing this time. I'm not coming looking to spare feelings. He ain't coming to hurt feelings. He's just coming to set some things in order to, to find out who is really in it to serve the Lord. This time when he comes, he's going to use his apostolic powers, whatever means necessary, to set things in order. He says in the third verse, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you are is not weak, but is mighty in you. Those who are causing problems have been murmuring against Paul. They would do well to study the Scriptures and find out that it is a very dangerous thing to murmur against the elect of God or to murmur against the chosen of God. They could have looked back in the story. They could have easily read from the law and the scriptures that they had. They didn't have to have the Bible that we had today. They had what we call the Old Testament. They had the law and the prophets. It was already there. They could have looked back and they could have studied and easily seen what happens to those who murmur against the elect of God, of which the Apostle Paul is. In Numbers chapter 14, verse number 1 and 2, we find the people murmuring against Moses and, and murmuring against Moses and Aaron. And it says that all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? To murmur against God's anointed is to murmur against God himself. They're not murmuring against man. They're murmuring against God. Moses 
is nothing but a willing, obedient vessel. Moses didn't sign up for this job. Moses didn't ask God, could he do it? He didn't even say, well, the spot's vacant, I'll go there. Moses had no desire. He was called by God out of a burning bush. He was told to go, and he said, I can't. He was told by God, you will. And all he's doing is exactly what God has told him to do. So for the people to murmur against Moses is to be murmuring against God. Now, it all came uh, to a head at Kadesh Barnea, and because of that, we find that everybody over 20 years old died because uh, of their, their stand against being faithful or, or trusting God completely. The murmuring of the children of Israel came to a head again at the rebellion of, of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. It says in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. They rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. They gathered themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said unto them, you take too much upon you, seeing that all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? So what they came and said, who do you think you are? The whole congregation of people is holy. This is Israel. We are the chosen. We are the people of God. This whole people is holy. And, and you make yourself something special. You rise yourself up. And you say that you're over the people. Moses heard it. He fell upon his face. He spake unto Korah and to all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. Even him who hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. So those who oppose Moses, they, they've called Moses a fake. They've set the stage and said, everybody else is on the same plane as you. You've just made yourself holy. And Moses said, tomorrow we'll find out. In chapter 16 and verse number 28, Moses said, Hereby shall you know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die, the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth openeth her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them. That means all their possession and everything that they have and everything around them. If the earth opens up and swallows up all that appertain to them and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. It came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses, all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Now, you would think that would have straightened some folks out. I mean, if I see a group of people come up against a man and the man says, I'm standing on God's side, but here's what we'll do. If these men die a natural death, nothing happens to them tomorrow, then I'm a fate and God didn't send me. But here's what's going to happen. If the earth opens up and swallows them whole, then you'll know that God sent me. And the next day the earth opens up and swallows them whole, I'm an automatic believer. 
I don't think I'm going to be doing much complaining. But, but apparently some of these people must have been Baptists because in verse number 41, it says, On the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. So then you find down in verse number, 40, uh, verse number 49 that 14,700 more of them die because of their rebellion. In chapter 21, they go to complain it again. They complain against the bread of heaven. They said, we loathe this bread. God is supplying them bread, food, meal, every day, just like God takes care of us. Every single day, God was providing, putting bread out there, the manna of heaven. They said, we loathe this bread. So verse number 6 of Numbers 21, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. It is a dangerous thing to take a stand against the anointed of God. It's equally as, as important for the people here of Corinth. It's equally as fatal for them to take a stand against the Apostle Paul, this chosen vessel of God, this mighty man that God is doing great and wonderful things through. Remember last week, we saw that the first time Paul was there, he said, I showed you apostolic powers. But what happened the first time he was there, he showed them great and mighty miracles. But it would have been things like causing the lame to walk, something like Peter and John did. Or it would have been causing the blind to see or the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. It would have been healing all manner of sickness. Paul says the first time I was there, I showed you apostolic powers. Now, he doesn't tell us what it is, but, but we know from the Scripture it would have been healings. It would have been things that they had power of, and we know even as we looked at last week, we know he had these kind of powers because when God or when Jesus sent the disciples out and he told them to go and do all these things, to cast out unclean spirits and to heal all manner of sickness, Jesus would not have sent them out had he not fully equipped them to do it. And Paul is the newest of the apostles, so we know that he has this kind of power. And we know that the first time he was there, he allowed them to see some of that kind of power. Looks like on this third visit, they may see some of that kind of power, but it may not be quite as nice as what they saw the first time he was there. So he gives a word of warning, but he also gives them a word of warning here regarding the Christ in verse number four. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. You know, to, to look at Calvary, Calvary looked like the ultimate defeat. It looked like, from the outside looking in, it looked like a huge lost. Even the disciples thought all hope was lost. They thought everything was gone. They, they figured everything was for nothing now. Those two on the road to Emmaus on the day of the resurrection that Jesus walked with, they didn't recognize him as Jesus, and they're explaining, and they're, they're talking to him, and they said, we thought that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. We thought that he was going to be the Christ, but now he's just dead. It seemed like the devil had won a great victory at Calvary, but Calvary was the devil's greatest mistake. Calvary played right into the hands of God. The death of Christ was not an accident, nor was it a tragedy. It was a fulfillment of the plan that God had put in place from the foundations of the world. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. That means every knee. That goes to every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. 
even those who do not trust Christ, their personal Lord and Savior, before they're cast into the lake of fire, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will all bow down, those whose names not written in the, in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So what we find out is that from the very beginning, Jesus Christ and that cross was the ultimate plan. Jesus Christ took a trip from eternity to eternity to bring God glory and to bring grace to mankind. So no man took his life. On the cross, he, he said it is finished. He finished the work that the Father sent him to do. And when he completed the work, he dismissed his spirit into the Father's hand. He said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So Calvary was Satan's supreme defeat. But Calvary was followed by a burial in which Jesus went down and got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He said, I am he that liveth. Uh, Revelation, what is that? Um, 118, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of death and of hell. Jesus Christ has the keys, but that was followed by the resurrection when Jesus Christ rose up. And we have the stories there of how they saw him and he went to the road to Emmaus, but then over in the book of Acts, after the resurrection, we have the ascension where Jesus was lifted up and went up into the clouds. And after that, we have where Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for people just like you and I on our behalf. And then after that, we have Pentecost, where God sent the Holy Spirit back. And the Holy Spirit indwells in the hearts and lives of men when we become a child of the King, when we're washed in the blood, when we're saved by amazing grace, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We become the church. I can tell you, Satan never saw the church coming. It is God's ultimate redemption plan. And we, as children of God, are the church, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the time, regardless of whether or not you can gather in this building right now or next Sunday morning, we are the church. It is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us, and our job is the same. Tell the world about Jesus Christ. He came, he paid the sin, we're sinners, and without Jesus Christ, we die and go to hell. Our job remains the same. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church age is going to end. One day Jesus Christ is going to step out. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be the sound of a trumpet. Gabriel's going to blow the horn and Jesus Christ is going to call the redeemed. And we're all going to rise up to meet him in the air. After that, there'll be a seven-year horrendous period on this earth that we call the tribulation period. But after that, there'll be the thousand-year millennial reign in which we come and rule and reign with Christ. But after that, it is all of eternity with him. We will never be separated from our Lord after that time. Paul said he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. I just gave you all that about Christ because that's a mouthful that Paul said in one simple sentence. He liveth by the power of God. Remember in our study, um, Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote, chapter 1, verse 25, Paul said the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul is admitting his own weakness, but we just saw where he reminded them that it, his strength is made perfect in his weakness. It, it's not our strength. It's in our weakness where God shows up. It's in our weakness where we are at our most frail, where the power of God shows up and works in us and works through us. Verse number 5, 
Remember, Paul's setting the stage. He's coming, and he's letting them know what to expect. So then verse number 5, he says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? You know, there, there's a couple of ways to test gold, to, to see if it's real. One is you can take a magnet, and you can put a magnet to gold. Gold won't stick to a magnet, or a magnet won't stick to gold. But that's not foolproof because it won't stick to aluminum either um, and a high-grade stainless steel won't stick to a magnet so it's not a foolproof method but you can take nitric acid and you can put a drop of nitric acid on gold now if it's fake gold it will immediately turn green the acid is gonna have an effect on metallic surfaces if it's say um like a sterling silver and plated with gold it's going to turn a milky color. But if the gold is real, he says, check yourselves, test yourself. If the gold is real, the nitric acid will have no effect because the gold will not react to it. When he says, check yourselves, test yourself, prove yourselves, he's not talking. He don't want me to, he don't want Philip and I to prove ourselves against each other or Joseph and I to prove ourselves against each other or, or anybody else in the church. You want to prove yourself? Here's the measuring stick. Here's the line. This is the balance. How do you weigh up against this? Jesus Christ is our measuring stick. How much do we look like Christ? Paul says, Prove yourself. Examine yourselves. Put your own self to the acid test. He says, you want to see if I'm a true apostle? I'm going to show you some things when I get there. I'm going to answer that question, but you need to make sure that you get some things right first. Paul uses the word reprobates here. It, it describes people who practice sinful living. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness. And then he goes on and names several sinful acts. This warning has to do with an apostate. An apostate is somebody who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, they may claim to be a Christian. They may claim to have been saved. They may claim to, to be a child of God. But you have to remember that the devil is not only a liar. He is the father of all lies. And it does not bother the devil one bit to, to bring somebody and sit them inside of a church house. It doesn't bother to, to use somebody that, that's not saved, but they come in to the church. It doesn't bother the devil to use somebody to tell a lie. It doesn't bother the devil to use somebody to put on a front, hide them in a church, and use them to sow discord among the body. And Paul says, when I get there, I'm going to meet some people face to face. He said, these people are an enemy to the faith. They are a wolf in sheep's clothing. They are imposters of righteousness. They are false prophets. They are false witnesses. And when I get there, we're going to be face to face. And here's the deal. One of the two of us is a liar. One of the two of us is a reprobate. One of the two of us is wrong. And when I get there, this is all going to come to a head. You're going to find out who's the real deal and who's talking out of both sides of their mouth. Paul says, I'm willing to put my character on the line and we'll get face to face and we'll find out who's standing. We'll find out who's for God and who God is for when I get there. Verse number 6 and 7, he says, I trust that you shall know that we're not reprobates, 
Now, I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. Paul says, surely you know already that, that we're not reprobates, that we're not pretenders, that we're not workers of evil things. You, I've already been there. I've already met you. The majority of you I led to Christ and we founded the church. Surely you already know these things. But the word that Paul uses here in verse number 7, it means depraved or, or corrupted. Paul says, I hope you know that we're not reprobates because our spirit ought to agree. All Paul wants for the Corinthians is for them to do right, to live right. The reason Paul wants for these Christians to do right and to live right is because he knows God will bless them for it. He just wants them to live in the perfect will, the plan that God has established for each of our life. But Paul knows that there's some of them there of the same spirit. And those that are of the same spirit, they will know what manner of spirit Paul is. But what he's telling them is also, if you will measure up these people, you will see that the spirit does not agree. It's not difficult to recognize when the Spirit doesn't agree. Even for you and I today, we can meet someone. We can talk for just a few minutes. And to be honest, if, if they're a Christian living like a Christian, and you're a Christian living like a Christian, you never have to tell each other that you're a Christian. You already know. When one of you mentions something about church or Christ, it's not a big surprise to either one of you because the Spirit agrees there is that christ-like spirit that is in that the two agree even even this week I, I can give you an example from my own life um just this week on on spirits agreeing in case you don't know it uh, it was put out yesterday but in case you didn't get the memo i guess you'll know it after now we're not going to be able to do camp truth this year um we we have already pulled everything on that so we won't be doing camp truth may 24th that, that has been a very tough decision. And, you know, we put a video, five of us got out here, and we did a video and told you some things we couldn't do. And one of the things we left open was Camp Truth. And we told you that we would evaluate it on the 12th. The reason why on the 12th and the 13th, that's when the social distancing was set to expire on the 13th. We thought we could evaluate it again. And we looked ahead, but almost immediately after that meeting that day, I just began to be honest, I have no peace about Camp Truth. I, I, was, I was staying awake some at night. I was very upset, sometimes just almost nauseous at the thought of it. I could get no peace about doing the camp. Well, we put the video out, and for about a week, Paul and I, we didn't talk about the camp at all. In the meantime, he put out um, a couple of messages to the leaders, uh, having them prepared and what's going on, just setting things in order like he should. But I looked at the messages he sent out, and I interpreted those as, Lord, why are you telling me one thing and telling Paul something else? Paul Hutchins. Um, why, why, why would our spirit be different? So I called Paul, and they, they were off on a little trip. I said, just call me and get back to town. Any of them we've got to discuss now. So he called me Monday, and we talked a few minutes. I said, Paul, let me ask you something. Why do you think we should have Camp Truth? And he said, why do you think I think that? I said, well, I, I mean, I looked at the messages that you sent to the leaders, and I looked at the positivity of them and all the instructions. He, he said, preacher, he said, the day we did that video, he said, I was, I was sick. He said, I've been ready to call it off since then. He said, I have no peace at all 
about doing Camp Truth. He said, but we told the people we would reevaluate it on the 12th. He said, I can't wait till the 12th to get started. If we're going to do it, i got to be 100% ready. He said, i got to be 100% ready whether we do the camp or not. He said, but if you want to know if I think we ought to do it, he said, I feel like I'm getting ulcers. He said, I literally was sick at my stomach this morning just thinking about it. And I said, well, brother, why don't we just agree with something right now so we can both quit staying awake at night being sick? I have no peace at all. Let's, uh, let's bring it up tomorrow in the staff meeting, which was yesterday, Tuesday, and let's see where everybody else is at. And as a staff in one accord, there is a unity of the Spirit. We all know. But, but that, that is what I'm talking about. The Spirit unites. That's the same thing Paul, in a sense, is talking about right here. There is a like-mindedness. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell somebody one thing and tell somebody else to do something else. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. He won't put things in the church. So, what Paul is saying is those that are in the church, those that are causing the confusion, those that are, are stirring the pot and, and stirring things up, can't you look at them and see the difference? There's no unity of the Spirit. If you don't have a like-mindedness of the Spirit, then they're reprobates. They're not of Christ. They're not washed in the blood. So what Paul is teaching us here is those who are truly saved will know who the reprobates are. It really isn't that hard for a Christian to recognize a real Christian. If you're not being recognized as a Christian, Paul says here, you need to examine yourselves. You need to look at your life. Why would people not be recognizing you as a Christian? Examine yourself. Put yourself to the acid test. Find out if it's the real deal. But, but you need to take some things into account. Because Paul says, I'm coming. I'm coming to that church. And we're going to go through some things. We're going to sit down face to face. And we're all going to find out who is on the Lord's side. Verse number 8. He says here, we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. I think what we'll do, leave off right there at verse number 8. We can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Lord willing, we'll just pick up right here with verse number 8 next week. Um, well, next time. Lord willing, I'm, I'm hoping I might get a day off next Wednesday. And if I do, well, I may not be here next week, but how about let's just say this. The next time you see me, Lord willing, on a Wednesday night, we'll pick up at verse 8 if that's the Lord's will. But you be, you be praying because what I want is what does God want us to study? What does God want us to know? And if, if you're praying he tells you something else, you pray that he tells me because I, after I just preach on the Spirit agreeing, I don't want to come in and disagree with nobody. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Joseph's over there laughing. Hey, it's just, just the truth. I want our spirit to agree. So, for tonight, I think we'll, we'll say amen, and, and we'll gather. I hope you can be here Sunday morning, Mother's Day. Um, we'll be online. Once again, we will not be able to be in the building. It'll be a very different Mother's Day, but I hope you can tune in. We'll be right here at 930 for Sunday school, 1030 for the Sunday morning service. In the meantime, I'll be praying for you. You'll be praying for us. I'm going to be praying for you whether you pray for us. I said if you pray for us. Joseph, you done got me all messed up. I'm going to be praying for you whether you pray for me or not. But we sure would appreciate your prayers. God bless you. I hope you have an amazing rest of the evening.